0: Greetings and welcome. We're glad you're with us tonight as we continue our study of the first epistle to the Thessalonians. Tonight if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we will be focusing exclusively on verse 4, but I'd like to read the context of verses 1 through 10. It says, Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope, and our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and Father, knowing of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for His Son from Heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come." As Paul contemplates the uh, condition of the church of Thessalonica he had much for which he was thankful as we see in verses 2 and 3 and we shared last week in regards to their faith that worked and their love that labored and their hope that was that gave them patience and we also took consolation knowing that they were chosen he is he referred to their election by God which is specifically what we're going to talk about in this uh, teaching today as evidence. He reminds them of how God had worked through them through Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. And in some ways when the, uh, these Thessalonians had become part of God's chosen people, a special people that are, is actually described over here in 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, verses 9 through 10 it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people but are who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy and of course mercy means to be lifted out of misery and the and they were called just as the nation of Israel was called in Deuteronomy chapter 10 Verse 15, and so several questions naturally come when you deal with this word that is uh, right here in in verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. That word, election, I want you to know it has been debated every generation of the church, uh, that it has existed, and uh, I don't think we're going to solve it tonight. Uh, But I do know that uh, it's it's solved in my heart. I'm gonna to try to explain it as, as genuinely, as plainly and easily as I can to you. And uh, I, I must make this point very clear to you. Uh, what I am teaching you is not, not what I believe is, is the God we desire, but is the God of the, of the Bible. And uh, I'm gonna to try to share with you how this word election is consistent but in the end, I cannot make you understand. I can do my very best and I'm, I'm going to try to do all of this in 40 minutes. And uh, whereas I think we could have a, uh, an agreement that many books are filled, fill many libraries on this subject. But it is a very important word. It is a word that requires our understanding because it is mentioned in the Scripture and all Scripture is breathed by God. So we have to understand it. And it is part and parcel. Uh, what makes the Thessalonians special, and I have good news, it's what makes you special. And uh, I hope that when we're done, you can see uh, that uh, at the very least, uh, this applies to you. Uh, I, and I certainly hope it does for, for the sake of your soul. And so uh, several questions naturally come to mind regarding the Thessalonians and their election by God. Why did God make His choice of them? Uh, where, where Were the Thessalonians chosen individually or were they chosen as a people group, as, as part of some corporate or general choice? Uh, was their election by God final? Was it, was it impossible for them to lose their privilege of being God's chosen people? Um, I've read some folks that, that I would not call heretics, but I would say they are definitely got one foot on the road to heresy, who says that God's election is is conditional, but man's uh, is is unconditional? God's election is unconditional, but man's election is is conditional. Whether he keeps it or loses it, that that is completely false. That is not in keeping with the Scripture. Uh, that is making God in our own image, and. Uh, and so, how are we to answer these questions? How did that God make the choice? Were they chosen individually? Were they chosen generally, corporately? Was it impossible for their to, them to lose their election, or are they sealed forever? And how might we answer these questions related to our own election uh, by God? That you know, that's really what I think. Probably you're already asking, "Am I elect?" Uh, yourself if you're asking that. Well let's first of, go, first of all begin with an understanding of election. Uh, he says, knowing brethren beloved by God, His choice of you. Uh, in one translation that'd be the new American standard, His choice of you. Election is choice. Election is not inauguration, it's choice. We just had an election in our country in November and we just had an inauguration in January election is election unto inauguration. It is, it, it is a choice unto salvation. We're elected unto salvation. And verse 4 signals this transition. And You need to understand this uh, from the preceding statement in verse 3 which says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of of our God and Father. So it it describes Paul's confidence that the Thessalonians' present spiritual condition uh, was something he could have confidence in. And then verses five through 10, which I've read to you, focuses on their past conversion. So verse three is their present condition. Verses five through 10 is their past conversion. And that's what we're going to deal with the next time we're together. So first of all knowing uh, as, I, as I try to explain this text uh, the form of Greek the verb uh, seeing is the Greek word oida, O-I-D-A. It, it can be translated seeing or perceiving. Now that's very important that you understand that. Um, seeing or perceiving right here he says knowing beloved or seeing beloved children Uh, this, that uh, the reality is, is seeing or perceiving, here Paul expresses his perception that the assembly at Thessalonica is in fact genuine. It is genuine. The only key we have to know that is from that Greek word oida, uh, because of what the word means, how it's used in the scripture. Uh, the second thing I would like to exp- explain to you is the phrase brethren beloved by God contains the familiar New Testament uh, terminology where he says in the text, knowing, so there's the oida, knowing, seeing, perceiving beloved brethren. So here what you have is this idea of a delphoi. This word brethren is a delphoi. It is a common word for the children of God in Christ. We can't, we can't see that in the English, but we can see it in the Greek. Um, and and you know, that's why you're listening to this message is to grow in your understanding of the Word. And so you can just write out there, this is the common term, brethren, for those who are truly the children of God in Christ, Adelphoi. And beloved by God translates into a perfect passive participle. Now a participle is what is known as a verbal adjective. It's a verbal adjective. And so what you have here is this idea, and I'm not going to read the sentence to you in the Greek, but, it, but he is saying, explaining the reality that the Christians are recipients of the sovereign love of God. They are the recipients of the sovereign love of God. And so the Greek word there is a word that they use in English for Beloved. Beloved, beloved, those who are the, the recipients of the sovereign love of God. Okay, so we see this, that seeing or perceiving, Paul says the assembly at Thessalonica is in fact genuine, that indeed they are the recipients of the sovereign love of God. So that's, you say, that's what that means. That's exactly what that means. Knowing, beloved. Brethren those three English words means simply that perceiving or seeing you in fact indeed you are genuine believers and you are in fact without question you are you are the genuine church of believers at Thessalonica okay um, in the English it does that in three words in the Greek it does it in Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six words. So, uh, um, it's certainly something that we will learn. It's something you should carry in your heart as to the meaning of the text. Knowing, beloved brethren, then he comes to this word election. When Paul told the Thessalonians he was certain of God's choice of them, as it says in the New American Standard, It's the same word, electos, the choice of them. His words are in perfect harmony with the New Testament. Now, Recently, I just spent several months teaching on um, self-control through the Fruit on the Spirit, a a series that's actually on our our podcast entitled Transformative Truths called The Flesh and the Spirit. It's also on The Journey Church, yourjourneyonline.com and there was a message on self-control. Self-control is when I am in perfect harmony with the will of God. This concept of harmony goes on and on throughout Scripture. Um, To share with you the concept of harmony, I want to show you its antithesis. One of the peculiar things about my own self is that I am of Irish descent, and I love the bagpipes. Now, the Highland Pipes are the ones you're most familiar with, and, and those are played actually by the Scottish. But what is interesting about the bagpipes are two particular things are interesting to me. Number one, they are the sounds of war. Uh, for years in Scotland, uh, if not centuries, the playing of the Highland Pipe, or the bagpipe, what you're most familiar with, was forbidden because they were known as the sounds of war. But the second thing I want you to know that's equally fascinating, a bagpipe only has nine notes that it can play. It can only play nine notes, no sharps and no flats. There are just nine notes, and so if you're playing a concert in the key of C, which has no sharps or no fat flats, then when the bagpipes play, it's imperfectly in, in tune. But most concerts are in B-flat or E-flat or, or in F, the key of F, and so forth. And so when the bagpipes play, which are in the key of C, there's a, there's a uh, descant, there's what's called a, or discord, there's, it, it sounds like you're squeezing a cat. <laughs> and, uh, um, and they sound like that when you play with them by themselves. But the bagpipes make this terrible, terrible discord, or discant inside uh, a symphony. And so because there are no sharps and flats where the symphony orchestra may be playing sharps and flats or a person on an organ is playing sharps and flats, um, the bagpipe totally stands out because it's in the key of C, which has no sharps and no flats. My point to say all of this is all of you have heard bagpipes. And when you hear bagpipes, you go, uh, well, bagpipes aren't in harmony. Everything that is in the scripture is in harmony. When the Bible's in the key of B flat, everything else is in the key of B flat. If it's in the key of C, everything else is in the key of C. Um, The Bible may not make sense to you, but it makes sense to God. You may not understand it, but it understands you. We, we try to apply and we pray for God's light to illumine our wisdom as we study the scripture. We try not to illumine the scripture with our experience. We try to take the experience we have and let the scripture illuminate the experience. Okay? And so just think of bagpipes here on this concept of election. It, it doesn't make sense to us as humans. It pulls in tension. How could God do that? But it's in perfect harmony with the Scripture. And so I'm going to actually do a little bit of what I have referred to as yellow page preaching, where the fingers do the walking. Go over here to Matthew chapter 22, Matthew 24. Matthew 24, I'm showing you that this word, this concept uh, that of God's choice is co- in complete harmony with the New Testament. And uh, Matthew 24, verse 22, It says right here, And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. There's that word, chosen, or election. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Go over here to chapter, or go over here to verse 24. It says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonder and deceive, if possible, even the elect Go over here also to verse 31. Verse 31, And He will send His angels with great, with a great sound of the trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Notice, He doesn't say His Christians. He says His elect, uh, those who are called to believe, the chosen of God, those who are in Christ. Okay? And so... Um, uh, I mean, I I don't think there just needs to be a whole lot of discussion about what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus means what He says, and He says what He means. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 7, it says right here, And shall God not avenge His own elect who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? The elect aren't perfect. He bears with them. But shall he not avenge them in their crying? There's the same word again. Go over here to Romans in the, gospel, in, in the expo- exposition of grace. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Look what it says. It says this. It, it says, Who shall bring any a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Okay? Keep going to the right. Go over here to Colossians. Okay? Go over to Colossians. Right after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Right here, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long suffering. He doesn't use the word Christian. He uses the word the elect of God. The elect of God. Go over here to 2 Timothy. To the, go past 1st and 2 Thessalonians into 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. It says right here, therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It's in perfect harmony. It's the same word. Now listen friend, it's not only the same word, it's used in the same sense. There is no, it is a double proof. It's not just used by the same definition it's used in the same sense. The elect means the elect. Christ, Christians are the elect of God. I'm talking about the and, and well, you know, I, I want to say that better. The elect of God are genuine Christians. The elect of God are those who Peter says are called to believe. The elect of God are those whom Paul says, I knew a man in Christ. The elect of God are the are those that have been chosen by God before the foundations of the world, as the Bible says. They have been chosen solely, completely. Now, when I say solely, I mean 100 percent solely by His sovereign, loving purpose, apart from any human merit or wisdom. Now, this is where you start hearing bagpipes in your head. You're saying, "No, I've got to respond." No. This is totally God's choice. It completely depends upon Him, because if it depended on you, then it would be a work salvation. He didn't choose salvation. Listen, I want you to write this down if if you would, because I'd like you to consider this. Um, God didn't choose salvation for the believer, but He chose the believers for salvation. God didn't elect salvation for the believer, He elected the believer for salvation. The faith tradition I grew up in says that God chose salvation for the believer. If I became a believer then He foreordained that I would be, that I would receive salvation. That's not how the Bible teaches it. The Bible says very clearly that God chooses who the believers are, and those who are believers He saves. So it is not election of salvation. It's election of believers unto salvation. So write it down again. He didn't choose salvation for the believer, but the believer for his salvation. Does this make sense? Makes sense to me. And, and by the way, I used to not believe this. I went through my entire master's degree and the studies of my Ph.D., fighting against this very concept. And it was only until I became a pastor and I began to study the book of Romans and Ephesians, the thanksgiving of 2000, that my heart strangely became turned uh, to, to the truth of what God says in His book of Ephesians and His book of Romans. There's just nothing I can do. It is all of Him. And it is the reason I worship Him. And it is the reason I have peace with God. He chose me before the foundation of the world. He elected me to be a believer for His salvation. Whereas up to that point, I'd already been a pastor. I'd already been pastor, and I was teaching that God elected salvation for those who would believe. And uh, so I've had, I mean, I've been, it's 20 years now. And I've been wrestling with this, and I, I don't wrestle with it anymore. It, and, it, and historically in my faith tradition, which I'm very proud of, historically, going back 600 years, this is exactly what they believed. When this country was founded, the United States of America, the preachers predominantly, uh, probably 95% of them outside of John Wesley who came over here, preached. With fire, that Greek term, Prothamon euangelietzets, they preached with fire. They declared the gospel with fire that God has chosen men to believe unto salvation. And America was born out of that. And uh, in fact, I wrote an entire dissertation on it. And uh, that's how I earned, earned the title doctor. And so, God in eternity, pa- in eternity past, Eternity past, sovereignly chose all the believers to salvation. Not He didn't choose in the past salvation for all the believers. He chose the believers for salvation in eternity past. Drawing them to Himself in time by the work of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that's also totally in harmony with Scripture? Go back to the right, left rather, and go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and I really encourage you, to instead of just writing these down to go here and highlight them, but since you can watch the sermon again or listen to it again on our podcast, Transformative Truths, um, you, you do what is easiest for you, but in John six thirty seven, and and by the way I want to say this because it, the, the spirit's just prompting me to say this. I, I hear this and I know what people mean. They say, well my Bible says this. Friends, this isn't my Bible. Uh, You know, well, my Bible tells me. um, I say this with with humility and gentleness. This is God's Bible. This is God's Word. We would never say, My Word. And we can't say, My God. Because if, if your God is my God, then He's not exclusively your God. So, we say, His Word. I prefer that than say, Well, my Bible says. No, God's Word says. That's it. That settles it. God's Word says. So look over here at John six thirty seven. John six thirty seven, It says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. How could God give someone to Jesus in the future if He hadn't decided in the past to give them to Jesus, give him or her to Jesus? It had to be a previous choice, just as the Scripture says. Go down in verse 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. You can't get there by praying to receive Jesus. You have to be drawn there by the Father Himself. He says it again, look what it says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, uh, and I will raise him up the last day. So it requires the Father and the Son. Um, If if salvation relied on on a simple prayer then salvation would be not God's work alone, and we would then have to preach that we are saved by, by works, not by grace. We are saved unto works. We are not saved by works. That's what James says, the book of James. Um, Romans chapter 9, verses 15 through 16. Look what it says, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Mercy means to lift out of misery. Okay. I will have compassion on those whom I will have compassion. This is solely God's choice. So then it is not of him who wills, nor him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. It's not, it's, it's not of us. It's totally of God to lift us out of the mercy of sin. To lift us out of the mercy of sin. Go over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. For God is faithful by whom we were called into fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm I'm holding something back. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Go over here to Ephesians chapter 1. I know some of you are going to text me in a minute and say, what were you holding back? It was only a good thing. I promise you that. But uh, it would take me for a long time to explain it, and I, I don't have a lot, much longer on this video. Alright, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through 6, watch this. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world. There's your proof. There's your proof. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world that we should, not, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love having predestined us. There's you another word. Having predestined us to the adoption as sons of sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to his good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 11. I've already shared with you what beloved means. Verse 11. It's that, it's that participle. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So how can God be a God of election? That doesn't seem fair. It has nothing to do with fair. If God were fair, he'd send all of us to hell. And uh, it's definitely an act of God's fairness to send someone to hell that, that does not want anything to do with God on this earth. It would be very unfair for God to have somebody in Heaven with Him forever who didn't want to be with Him here on this earth. That would be unfair. And it's not a matter of question of fairness, it's a matter of justice. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God through His rich mercy has chosen whom He will save, whom He will show mercy on, and whom He will show compassion on. You say, well my God would never do that. My Bible doesn't say that. Well. God's Bible says that, and and the God that is God, the triune God, the Father of Jesus Christ says that. And so if you're hearing bagpipes, it's not in the Word, it's you, it's me. You're hearing, and and if you don't, if you just joined us and you're saying, what's he talking about bagpipes for? Go back to the beginning of the message and listen, because you can do that. One thing I have told my family that I'm gonna, I'm, I want to learn to play the bagpipes. One day my daughter's gonna get married, and I told her I'd wear a kilt, play the bagpipes down the aisle. Her brother, I'll give her away to her brother, and then I'll step up there, put on my robe, and I'll marry her. And she has said no to all of that. And uh, my wife has told me if I practice the bagpipes, I have to do it in the garage. And the cats have said you can't practice the bagpipes in the garage. And so I don't know what I'm gonna do. But. uh, because they just make a horrible sound. They're out of tune with most musical pieces. But they're, that's their purpose and their design is to call attention to it. I believe in this text right here, Paul is calling his, his attention for our edification. Because I'm going to show you why this is important to you. But I'm not done talking about it. Go over here to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Keep going to the right. I, I organized these so you could just turn to the right each time we could just go through the Scripture. It's not chronological, but it is, uh, it is uh, expeditious. 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He chose you before the foundation, the text says. I go over here to 2 Timothy, go to the right. Second Timothy. And then we'll we'll move on. Second Timothy chapter one verse nine. Knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and is insubordinate, for the ungodly and sinner, and for the unholy and the profane murders of father. Let's see, am I reading the right thing? Yeah, that's first Timothy, excuse me. Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Maybe they'll edit that out. I don't know. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which He was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Supralapsarian, before the creation. Okay? So the reality of it is is, is that uh, this is a reality. When Paul told the Thessalonians that he was certain, that he was absolutely certain that they were genuine, having perceived it, that their assembly was, was genuine, that in fact they were the recipients of the sovereign love of the Lord, he moves into this proof because he says you were chosen of God. Jesus has, has instructed his disciples in John fifteen sixteen. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear much fruit. That, that is the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit elected not only the apostles, but also those who have believed throughout history. In His high priestly prayer, Jesus Christ prays in John 17, He says, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world. He's, see, <laughs> the atonement is particular. And so he's talking about those who have been given to him both in times past, time present, and time future. He said, I ask on their behalf, who? The believers in time past, time present, time future. Well, there's an easier way to say that. I ask on their behalf, who? The elect. The elect of God. I do not ask on behalf of the unelect. Or he says, the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. That's John 17, verse 9 in the High Priestly Prayer. So first of all, that is a brief and very small explanation of the understanding of election. Number two, let's talk about the signs of divine election. Let's talk about the signs because truly that's probably what you're more interested in anyway. You have to decide to either believe it or not. I can't make you understand it. Um... Uh, If if they're still debating it today after 2,000 years of preaching, there hasn't been a preacher been able to explain it in such a way that everybody understands it. But I want to make this clear to you. God uses that word over and over and over again, and we believe God means what He says, and He says what He means. And if God says it, that settles it. it. It's not for me to understand it. It's for me to believe it. Okay, I but I but I do understand it, and uh, uh, but it's it, it has come with great cost, and it has come with great time, and uh, and but the most important thing is, are, I can see the signs of divine election, and so listen to what he says. We're back here in our passage, First Thessalonians. Look what he says. Go to verse four. Knowing beloved brethren. Your election of God for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. For as you know what kind of men you were, um, we were among you for your sake. Now watch this. Here this is very important. I want you to ask yourself this question. Here it is. Am I one of God's elect? Am I one of God's elect, one of those chosen by the Lord to inherit eternal life? I I want you to write that question down. Am I one of God's elect, one of those chosen by the Lord to inherit eternal life? Am I? Okay. Many of us have asked that question, if we're honest, at one time or another. Some have agonized for a period of time over it, perhaps even years over it. Uh, John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, if I read his biography correctly, the, from the point of his conversion to the point that, that he had the confidence of his conversion was over five years. Who saved a wretch like me? I once was lost but now I'm fi- found. I was blind and now I see. He wrote those words from the, from the time of his conversion until the time of his assurance. Something like five years passed, and, and during that time was a, was a great challenge if, if I read his, his autobiography correctly. It's, that's how it appears. Some of you may be asking that question in your daily study, am I God's elect? Some of the most godly men I've ever met in my life, uh, True, and, and, and those who have listened to me for years know I don't use that term uh, lightly. But some of the most godly men I have met have struggled with their assurance. And see, assurance of salvation is a feeling based upon the scriptural evidence of security of the believer. The security of the believer is a fact. It's concrete. Assurance is not concrete. It's it's a feeling. And so you have to come to grips with, all right, am I the elect of God? It's the word God uses here in His Scripture as the sign of genuineness. It is the word Jesus uses that He's praying for the elect. And the elect are those whom God has given to the Son before the foundations of the world. That's, we've, we've read all of that. We've read all of that. So without denying the real struggle, though, that many people experience with this question, discovering the answer is not as hard as one might think. We've done the hard part. I want you to know the rest of our time together is going to be easy. It's going to be very easy. We know that we are God's elect basically by two simple proofs. By by two simple proofs. The first one is this, if we believe the Gospel. If we believe the gospel, you say, well, what's the gospel? It begins in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. The gospel of the Lord. If we believe the gospel, and, and 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 I have taught us, and I know the Bible, what the Bible means by believe, if we obey the gospel. We believe it. We believe all of it. God saves sinners. We believe that. And we see that the Holy Spirit is work in our lives. That's the second one. We see that the Holy Spirit is in work in our lives. That's the second one, and of course that's according to the Scripture. Do we believe the Gospel of the Bible? And do do we believe that the Holy Spirit is working within us in accordance with what the Bible says? Okay, so consider today's passage which continues Paul's expression of thanks to God for the Thessalonians. The Apostle says that he knows God has chosen them because His gospel came to you. Now listen, watch the text. It says, because the gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Do you have full conviction of the gospel? Do you have a full conviction of God, of evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life? The Thessalonians did. The Thessalonians did and it was observed of them and declared they were genuine. And they were indeed Paul's beloved brethren, that they were co-heirs with Christ, that like Paul, they were elect. Why? Because they believed the gospel and manifested the work of the Spirit according to the Bible. And that's all seen in verses 5 through 10, in which we're going to study next time. So first Paul identifies the Thessalonians as elect because they showed conviction by believing the Gospel. They placed their faith in Christ when the good news was preached to them. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Uh, Paul's observation regarding belief and election confirms Jesus' own own words when He said that all whom the Father has given Him will certainly come to Him and He will never cast them out. That's in John 6, 37. Our faith is the instrument or means by which we cling to Christ for salvation. It's the instrument, now listen, this is important. I'm gonna split hairs here. Our faith is the instrument by which we cling to Christ for salvation, but it is also reveals our eternal election. The very fact that we have the faith proves we have the election, for faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It is by grace that is a man saved through faith, not of himself, it's the gift of God. Galatians chapter two verses five and six. And so verses six and seven. And so Next, Paul says he knows that the, that the Thessalonians have been chosen by God also because the gospel came to them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is going to get some of you sitting on the edge of your chairs. You're like, oh, we've been waiting so long. Pastor's going to talk to us again about the Holy Spirit. Well, I hate to disappoint you. I've got something more better than what you're thinking. Uh, and excuse me for using more better, I've got something much better than you're thinking. It is, is it possible that Paul, that Paul is speaking of the miracles that accompanied the preaching of, of Paul at Thessaloniki or Thessalonica? I want you to know you can read the account of their conversion in Acts chapter 17, 1 through 9, where Paul goes there and he preaches. In Acts chapter 17, 1 through 9, it doesn't talk about any supernatural signs or wonders. In Acts 17, 1 through 9, there is no mention of signs and wonders. Nothing supernatural takes place. Not a thing. No signs and wonders when Paul preached at Thessalonica. He just preached the word. More likely, therefore, then the work and the power of the Holy Spirit which Paul speaks here is the power of the Spirit to release men and women from the bondage of sin and to generate in them a new pattern of living and obedience. Not regenerate, generate. Reg- regeneration is going from death to life, but then to generate in them this new pattern of living in obedience to Jesus. Certainly, this is how Paul expects the Spirit to work in the lives of, of believers not primarily with extraordinary signs but in the but in putting to death sin by the putting of death by the putting to death of sin and the creation and the cultivation of spiritual fruit which we have just spent an entire couple of months on of love and joy of peace of patience of kindness and goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control against these things there is no law. That's Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-two through twenty-four. Do you see those things in your life? If we believe in the biblical Christ, if we believe in the Christ of God's Bible, if we believe in the Christ of God's Word, and have a measure of fruit, no matter how meager it may seem, then we can be certain of our own election. We can be certain of our own election. One of the great departed brothers of the faith said these words. And I want you to listen. Just set your Bible down and close your eyes. Just listen. The election of God, which is in itself hid, is manifested by its marks. When He gathers to Himself lost sheep and joins them to His flock and holds out His hand to those that were wandering and estranged from Him. So, election is hidden. The process of election is hidden, but its proof is manifested in its marks. All those who believe the Gospel and show evidence of spiritual life can be assured that they have been chosen for salvation and will inherit eternal life, according to the Scripture according to the Scripture. So write this down. Election is manifested by its biblical marks. Election is manifested by its biblical marks. If you don't take anything else away, take that away. And it's interesting to me that God knew we would read this word and need to understand. And so He says this, He says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, Verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And then in verse 6 he says, And you became followers of us, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy in the Holy Spirit. And so that you became examples to all in Macedonia, in Achaia, who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything of you. They bore witness, they bore witness that they were the elect of God because the word, the testimony of them as to God's work which was faithful in them. What God began He would be faithful to complete. So it says in Philippians 1-6, everyone around them in their area knew these people were followers of Jesus. These people weren't called Christians. Paul called them the elect. And the question that I ask you to ask yourself is this question, am I one of God's elect? Well one thing is for certain, in First Thessalonians, it is clear what the elect look like. And we've read all of these passages. It is futile to deny the concept. Believe me friend, I have tried to do it. It's futile to do it. The only way I can do it is to close my Bible and to create God in my own image and to worship Him with my own reason. But we have been called to faith and we receive the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit to change our heart, and I pray that you do as well. God, I do thank you for this Word. I, I, I feel so at peace, Lord, with the work that, that you have done in the lives of the elect, and I thank you that Jesus in His high priestly prayer prayed for me and prayed for those who would yet come and are coming now to you in faith as you draw men to Christ, as you draw your elect to Christ whom you, O God, cause to believe. It is not our concern as to who will believe and who will not believe. It is our concern to share the gospel because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's where security comes from, is by hearing the Word of God. And I pray, Father, that you would solve and resolve this argument in the hearts and minds of people to just believe it and say, you know what, I don't understand it. But when I look at the Thessalonian church, the use of the word, as I see it all throughout Scripture, how Jesus used it, how the apostles used it, though I don't understand it, I believe it. And Father, I pray that we would surrender to that and then ask the question, am I one of God's elect, one of those chosen by the Lord to inherit eternal life? And I pray that everyone that has heard this message today for the glory of God will be called to believe. And those who have been called to believe will have a greater measure of their security in Christ and the accompanying assurance that will follow. I ask this believing with a grateful heart and thankful, Lord, for those that you've allowed us to impact today with these transformative truths. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you.